in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And he made all things, the Word that is. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him, the Word was life. And this life was like the light of the world. Well, this light shined in the darkness, and the darkness, um, what's the word here? Couldn't resist it. It couldn't overcome it. Couldn't fight it. And even though he made the world, when he came into the world, the world did not recognize him when he came. They didn't receive him. They didn't welcome him. But everyone who did welcome him, to them he gave the power to become the new humanity. These were children of God, born not after a human's decision, but after the will of God. They were not born of the flesh. They were born in a supernatural way. Now, if I'm reading, that comes from John chapter one. John is the only gospel of the four to begin with the beginning of time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin with the story of Jesus on the earth, but John begins with the story of Jesus before the world was formed. So if I'm reading this right, John is saying that the world was not created by God in a generic sense. It was created by the word who is Jesus Christ. Later on, John will say this word became flesh and he lived among us and we have seen him with our eyes full of grace and truth. He's speaking of Jesus. So one could go back to the beginning of Genesis chapter two and three and read into those chapters, Jesus is there creating the world. The apostle Paul would certainly agree with this in Colossians chapter one, 14 and 15. Speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the image of the God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were made, things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, things invisible. All things were made by him and for him. He is in front of all things and in him all things hold together. Paul is speaking about Jesus being back at the beginning of time, the one who creates the world and speaks it into existence. So one can either start in the book of Genesis and read it forward to the book of John. Or one may start with John and read it backward into the book of Genesis. You still with me? One can either preach 
on the creation of the world from the book of John, or they can preach on the resurrection from the book of Genesis. I thought I'd preach on both. So in your mind, the way to listen to this sermon is to think of the whole story of the Bible unfolding before you in three gardens. There is a garden at the beginning of the Bible. There's a garden right in the middle of the Bible. And there's a garden at the end of the Bible when God does it all over again. In the beginning, on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was full of chaos. And it was loud. And, and God said, let's, let's make light. And so light appeared. And when it did, God separated the light from the darkness and the light he called day and the darkness he called night and the morning and the evening were the first day of the week, Sunday. The morning and the evening were Sunday, the first day of the week. On the second and third day, God did the same thing. He created something by separating it. On the second day, he created the sky above and separated it from the earth below. On the third day, he created land and water and he separated the land from the water. Now with the land in place, God created vegetation on the fourth day and on the fifth day, with the vegetation in place God created the animals and on the sixth day guess what he made he made y'all <laughs> this is such a beautiful story you you didn't create yourselves you didn't have to you were already created by God in his image. On the sixth day, God said, hey, let's make people <laughs> after our own image, in our likeness. And so God got busy. He went down to the ground and he formed the first human. And he formed that human in his image. Says it three times in only two verses. And then with the human now fully formed, God bent even lower and he breathed into that human's nostrils the, mm, the breath of life and that human came alive. And God said, That's perfect. Two things struck me about this. Then I'll get back to the story. One is that we were made in God's image, not in somebody else's, including our own. When we forget who we are, we get in all kinds of trouble, church. 
We get into things and then things get into us and we live far, far below what we were made to be. So when we are more like God, we are more like ourselves because we were made in the image of God. Now is when I need you. Say, amen. The second thing that struck me is that we were made for life. God made us to be fully alive. The animals and the plants were alive, but people, when he breathed into us his own breath, the Hebrew word there means spirit. When he breathed into us his spirit, he meant that we might live fully alive. Now with the humans in place, two of them, opposite (laughs) for sure they were opposite and yet they were complementary I mean the strengths of the one enhanced the beauty of the other the meaning of the one was found only in the other the potential of one was fully in the other they were not intended to be alone Now that God had brought them together, he did something else. He made a garden. And this garden was awesome. It was fed by four rivers. And there were trees and vegetation going crazy. And he placed the couple in the garden and he told them, I will nourish it, but you have to tend it. This is your job. Take care of the garden. I'll make sure it grows, but you got to protect it. And so they did. And as long as they did, God and his creation were together in union in one place. Is awesome. God himself used to walk in the garden like a gardener in the cool of the day. (laughs) Wow. Can you imagine? And the couple could have long undulating conversations with the eternal one walking through the garden like a gardener. One day, the Lord said to his couple, Look, I've given you everything in this garden. There's one thing you must not have. You must not have this tree that's right in the middle of the garden. Everything else is up to you. Chow down. That's in the Hebrew. But that one right there is reserved for me. The tree in the middle belongs to me. Leave it alone. Like children, when you tell them you can play with every toy but that one, that's the one they wanted. So one day, when they were without God, a serpent had found his way to that tree in the middle. And this is what he said. If you want to be truly like God, 
then you will do the thing God told you not to do. And people, it should have occurred to the couple that they were already like God because he made them like himself in true righteousness and holiness. But getting them to believe that there was something more than this ordinary little existence, he played on it and said, if you really want an upgrade, then you'll do the thing he told you not to do. And they reached out and they took whatever was on that tree and they ate it together. And the moment they ate it, they realized that they were naked, they became ashamed and they scampered to different parts of the garden. They hid themselves in the bushes. They made for themselves fig leaves to cover their shame. And one day God came walking into the garden like a gardener. And he was looking for this conversation with the couple, but the couple was nowhere to be found. They were not in the usual place. And so God called out, said, Adam, which simply means humanity, people, where are you? And from a corner of the garden, he heard a voice. It was Adam say, I heard you. And I was afraid. I heard your voice and I was afraid. And you're, you're like... You've been hearing his voice every day and you reveled in it. And today you hear it and you're afraid what has gone wrong. And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked. I'm ashamed. And so I hid myself and God began to weep. If God was angry, I think angry was a second emotion. I think his first emotion was pain for here the couple had just joined themselves in alliance with a serpent the way that they used to trust God alone. You don't get angry at that, not at first. You just weep. And so I think God wept in the garden and he said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? You've been naked all this time. And then he said, wait, did you do the thing I told you not to do? And Adam said, well, it, it was the woman. <laughs> um, not able to look at his creator, he said, um, the one you made, by the way, <laughs> She, uh, she's not the blessing you said. She tempted me and I ate. And God went looking for Eve who was in another bush saying, thanks a lot, honey. And God said to Eve, did you eat from the tree? And Eve said it was the serpent. And so starting with the serpent and working his way back to Adam, God began to lay out the punishments. 
the serpent in the ground would be cursed, but the man in the woman only punished, not cursed. The man and the woman he banished from the garden, moved them out, and he put a couple of cherubim-like, angel-like creatures brandishing flaming swords. Watch the language in Genesis chapter 3, guarding the way back to the tree of life. You can't get to the tree of life because you violated the one thing, you've now been banished from the garden you long for. It is after that moment, east of Eden, Adam names the woman Eve for the first time. And I don't know why. He names her after the fall, not before it, because he said she will be a mother to all the living. And I don't even know what that means, you guys. I think it means all of her descendants will be like her. And they were. To this day, we long for the garden that we lost because the garden people that God made for us and that he wants to put us in is not just a place. It's a way of life. It's a state of the soul. The garden is a place internally as much as it is a place in this world. It's a place of simplicity and harmony and balance and abundance and life and generosity and intimacy. When we're in the garden, our work has meaning. When we're in the garden, our relationships are pure and they're authentic. They're not pretentious. When we're in the garden, we have plenty and so does everybody else. So we long for the garden, even though we don't have words for it. And to this very day, so much of what we spend our energies on is nothing more than an attempt to get back to the garden. Any person that has gathered in a church for worship is in search of the garden. They want a conversation with the one walking in the cool of the day. Anytime we fight for justice, anytime we strive to bring peace, anytime we give to the poor, anytime we burn ours trying to repair a part of the world that is just shattered and broken, all we are doing is trying to find our way back to the garden. But the tree of life has been guarded. We can't get there. We can talk about it, but we can't get there. And when we get there, we can't stay. Are you with me? This is why from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, you hear prophets talking about the garden. When Lot picked the land, he said he picked the land on the crescent because in his words, it is like the garden of the Lord. You know what he's saying. This is why Isaiah said, there will come a day when God will make the earth right. And when he does, says the prophet, it's going to be like the garden of the Lord. Ezekiel says the same thing. God will make a garden for his people and the trees of that garden will be the envy of Eden. 
Those are Ezekiel's own words. The prophets are telling us God wants to recreate the garden, but there is just no way back. John is the only gospel to tell us Jesus was arrested in the garden. He took his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. And this is where he was betrayed. This was a place of violence and struggle and conflict. John is the only gospel to tell us that the crucifixion and the resurrection both happened in a garden. So in John's story, the passion is a movement from one garden of striving and conflict and violence to another one of life and resurrection. John is the only gospel to tell us that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified, wait for it, on a cross in the middle. John is the only gospel to tell us that while he was being crucified, Jesus formed another family, a new kind of humanity, looking at his mother and the disciple who loved him. Jesus said while dying, woman, behold your son. And then he turns to the boy and says, behold your mother. Well, that was not his mother and that was not his son. But while dying, he is forming a new family at the foot of his own cross. Only John tells us that when Jesus died, he cried in his last breath, it is finished. Teleos is the word. It means mature, better yet, perfect. Dying, he said, it is perfect. Those are not the words of failure. That is the voice of arising even as he dies. John goes back to the Garden of Eden and he tells us, Oh, in the resurrection, Jesus was forming a new creation in himself. God was starting the garden again. And so in John's gospel, it was the first day of the week. While it was still dark. Mary went to the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away. She turned and ran back to the disciples to tell them. Peter and John, when they heard it, ran to the tomb. They stepped inside and <laughs> they saw the linens that they wrapped his body in folded neatly. Some of y'all don't do that yet, and you're alive. 
I said in the first hour, my wife would love this part. He bothered to fold the linens before leaving. (laughs) They're laying on the ledge where the body used to lay. The disciples turn and leave. Mary standing outside, still sobbing. She finally collects herself. She pokes her head inside the tomb to look for herself. And that's when she sees two angels dressed in white. And they say to her, woman, why are you crying? And she must be thinking, well, it's because I know something you don't know. But they're thinking, no, actually, we know something you don't know. Well, she turns to leave the angels behind. And when she turns, there is a person, a man standing right in front of her. She almost runs into him. She thinks he's the gardener. And it was. God was coming back to the garden to start over. Only when she hears his voice, she does not run and hide like they did in Eden. He says to her, Mary, and when she hears his voice, she falls down at his feet and says, Later that evening, the disciples are gathered in a room. They're afraid. And suddenly Jesus walks through a wall and appears in the room. I don't know how he did that, but that sounds really cool. I am, that's on my bucket list in heaven except there is no bucket, but it's still on my list. And when he sees the disciples gathered, Jesus says to them, peace, the word is shalom. It was the word used of the garden, well-orderedness, calmness, abundance, prosperity, Let that be on you, he says. And then watch this. He gets down and he breathes into them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is nothing less than God come back to the garden breathing life into his people again. So they might come alive. This has powerful ramifications for us today, church. This is the story of the first creation and the second creation in Jesus Christ. If John were here, John would say, you know, you were right. Matthew was right. 
in the resurrection, the end has come crashing into the middle. But then John would add, and the end looks a lot like the beginning. God is actually recreating the beginning now in the middle of time. He is resurrecting the earth, even though it seems to you that he has not. For in John's mind, the trouble with the world is not that it is shrouded in sin. The trouble with the world is that it's old, it's tired, it's worn out, it's fallen apart, it's dying. And the Son of God has come to make it alive again. So the first thing the people of God can do to cooperate with God's work of new creation is to cooperate in becoming the new humanity. Jesus has come that we might be fully alive. In him is life, and this life is like the light of all people. All who believe in him will have eternal life. He who drinks of this living water, it shall be in them, he says, a spring of living water bubbling up within them. The day is coming, in fact has now come, he said, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Read that in slow motion. He didn't say that was gonna happen. He said it had already happened. The day is coming and has already come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear that voice will live. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, the thief comes to kill, but I have come that they might have life. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. He said, in him is life. And this life is like the light of men. He who has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. This is why Paul will tell us again and again, church, we must put off the old creation with its corrupted desires, the things that are below us, and we must put on the new creation. Wait for it. In Ephesians chapter 4, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see what he is saying? God is actually recreating the new humanity in you right now. Why would you dabble in things that are below you? You cannot sit and say when you sin, it's only because you're human. If you are sinning, it's because you are not human yet. When you are in heaven, you will be way more human than you ever dreamed of being on earth. And in hell, you will be banished from all humanity. For what is cast into hell is not a man, but the shell of a man, the remains of the human. 
So let's stop giving ourselves excuses for dabbling in things that are below us. Church, listen to me. You're better than that. God is forming a new creation right now, a new humanity, and you're part of it. Cooperate. Oh, I'm tired. There's another thing. God is forming a new community, just like he brought a mother and a son who were not really mothers and sons. God is to this day taking people who do not belong to one another and he is bringing them together in a new family called the church. And this church is comprised of people from different ethnicities and different races and different cultures. There are things about your culture and your race that are beautiful. And you need to bring those with you into the family that God is forming. But there are things about your culture and race that might need to be redeemed. And you need to redeem them so they become a pure expression of what God is. You belong to one another like you belong to him. And there's one more thing. This means that your work has purpose. You're not paying bills. You're not just doing what you're good at or what you're, what's the word, passionate about. You are gardeners of a new creation. You are not just witnesses of an empty tomb. You are the children of it. God has assigned you a place in this world that feels a lot to you like a job. It is a garden. And when you tend it and you care for it like he intended, it becomes a place in this world where the creator and his creation are united. God will grow it. He will nourish it but you must pay attention to it and you must protect it. It is sacred work, all of it. There is no one more thing, I'm done. <laughs> Ain't that just the most beautiful story? I mean, all these things that they told us we got to do. Oh, they have purpose now. When you set them in the story, you go, oh, oh, that's why I'm doing that. It's beautiful. Here's the good news. You will succeed. <laughs> you cannot fail. For the breath of God is in you. At the end of time, there's one last garden. Don't worry, I'm done. And the irony is John, 
the one who wrote this beautiful story about God bringing a new creation in the midst of old. This same John, he's on exile on the island of Patmos. He goes out one night and stands on the shore. I've been on Patmos. And in its day, it was everything they said it was. It was all prison and no freedom. John went out one night and stood on the shore and he looked up in the sky and in his mercy, God gave him a vision of how, well, he gave him a vision of the future. I think it might be the present. This is what he wrote. He described another garden. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was flowing straight from the throne of God. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing fruit every season, its leaves were healing the nations. And I knew that there would be no more curse. And then I heard a loud voice from that throne. And this is what it said. Now the dwelling of God has come. And he will live with his people again. And he'll take away all their sorrow. There will be no more death, no crying, no pain. Listen for it. For the old creation is gone. And then I heard that one sitting on the throne say, look, I am making all things new. <laughs> and then he turned to me, this one sitting on the throne. And he said, write this down, for this is true. And so I wrote. And he said, tell them, it is finished. Tell them it's perfect. Tell them I'm the first and I'm the last. Tell them I am the beginning in the end. <laughs> 